welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast that offers a down-to-earth glimpse of New Hampshire's legislative process. We unpack the facts, pros, and cons, and tell you how to make your voice heard. The New Hampshire legislature will vote on over 1,000 bills this year, which is a lot to follow. Each week, this podcast highlights one of those bills that might not be getting news coverage, but still could impact you. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, Content Editor for Citizens Count. And I know we work really hard to keep it nonpartisan around here, so maybe this little thought experiment will be hard for you. But just imagine you walk into the voting booth with this conundrum on your mind. The electoral field is crowded. Your first choice candidate might not win. You worry that by voting for your first choice, you will split the vote and your least favorite candidate will actually benefit. This year, the New Hampshire legislature is considering a switch to ranked choice voting to help address this issue. So, in fact, the New Hampshire legislature is considering three different pieces of legislation this year that would uh, institute ranked choice voting in one form or another. Being our resident policy expert, I'm betting you've already heard about these bills. I have. And I also totally am nonpartisanship aside, willing to absolutely admit that I have been in the ballot booth and considered if I vote for this person, am I going to basically have that spoiler effect? But yes, we're talking about three ranked choice voting bills. Do you want to hear a summary? Yes, yes. But uh, before we do, we should probably talk about just in general, how does ranked choice voting work? Sure, of course. So ranked choice voting can be challenging to wrap your head around, even even for me sometimes. But the basic concept is you rank your choices from first to last. So in that example of me walking into the voting booth and being worried if I cast my vote, will I be splitting a vote and then someone I really don't want? Well, this way I could say, I want this person first. If they can't get it, I like this person, so on and so forth. And then this person is my last choice. I definitely don't want them to be the winner. So the way that this works is they do one count first and you're looking at everybody's first choice. And if one of the candidates gets more than 50% of the vote, they win, just, just like they would in any other election. But if there's no majority winner in that first count, then there's something called an instant runoff. Gotcha. Okay. So the say, for example, the in a standard election, sometimes you have the situation where the winner actually only represents like 43% of the total votes. Right. So if there's three or more candidates, that's easy to imagine, right? You know, you, you someone clearly wins in terms of just the number of votes, but it's not over 50%. So at that point, it's actually a little bit like a game of musical chairs is another way of thinking about it because the person who has the least amount of votes in that first count gets eliminated. They get sent home, (laughs) they're off the game show, and then the count is performed again. Anybody who had that person who was eliminated as their first choice, basically their first choice gets crossed out and their ballot will be counted using the second choice. And so then once again, you have your list of everybody who's coming in. And if someone isn't that over 50% winner, it'll happen again. The person with the least amount of votes gets kicked off the show. They don't have a chair to sit in anymore. If they were at the top of your list, they get crossed out and your vote will go to the next one down and so on and so on and so on until someone gets more than 50% of the vote. Yeah, and I imagine this would speak to the voter who really wants to support a third-party candidate but is afraid of, quote-unquote, throwing their vote away. So tell us about this trio of bills related to ranked choice voting. 
there are three bills that would bring some form of ranked choice voting to New Hampshire. And I think that's pretty notable. It's, you know, there's with over a thousand bills, you'll find just about any topic you can imagine. <laughs> You're bound to get some repeats in so, there, Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, you'll, everybody will throw anything out. But when there's three bills, you know, that that's a little bit of momentum. So we have CACR 22, HB 1264, and HB 1482. Each one is a little bit different. So I'll start with CACR 22. That is a constitutional amendment. In other words, this legislation would actually put ranked choice voting in the New Hampshire Constitution. And it would say all elections in the state have to be conducted using ranked choice voting, but the legislature would decide the exact procedure. And and we talked about the general concept of how you count and count and solely eliminate people, but they don't go into that detail in the constitutional amendment. That would still be the legislature's job. Right. Okay. And we should mention, shameless plug, that we have an episode of this podcast in season one about the nitty gritty of how constitutional amendments work in New Hampshire. It's titled, Is It Time to Update the New Hampshire Constitution? So you can check that out at citizenscount.org slash podcast. But I digress. Yes. And an interesting note there, constitutional amendment would eventually go before everybody, all the people of New Hampshire. So New Hampshire would get to vote Mm. on ranked choice voting, which is voting on voting, all the good (laughs) stuff. So anyway, the next bill is HB 1264, and that would enable ranked choice voting only for state party primary elections and municipal elections. So state parties and municipalities wouldn't be forced to use ranked choice voting, but they could have the option, the choice to opt in and use it if they wanted to. So in a theoretical scenario, you might have just the Republican Party says, we're going to use ranked choice voting in our primary this year. So you'd rank your candidates that way on your ballot. But if you were voting Democrats, maybe they wouldn't use ranked choice voting that year. And you'd have just the regular, whoever has the most plurality of votes, just that number is going to win. The last bill, HB 1482, would establish ranked choice voting for all federal and state offices in New Hampshire by 2027. And political parties and municipalities, once again, could opt in to ranked choice voting starting in 2023. Great. So if you have, uh, you know, if you like this idea of ranked choice voting, it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure, which one you're going to support. But you can either way talk to your elected officials about supporting the bill. Yes. If you think all elections in the state should be ranked choice voting and this belongs in the Constitution, it's that important, check out CACR 22. If you want state parties and municipalities to have the option of implementing this, read up on HB 1264. And if you like the idea of ranked choice voting for federal and state offices across the board in New Hampshire, but without changing the Constitution, HB 1482 might just be your ticket. Now, if all this vaguely rings a bell, you may have heard that our neighbors to the north have actually implemented ranked choice voting themselves. So this is uh, already happening in Maine. They've made that change for all state and federal primary elections and all general elections for Congress, starting with the uh, 2018 elections. And this was extended to apply to the general election for president beginning in 2020 and presidential primary elections beginning 2024. Alaska also will also use ranked choice voting for all statewide and federal elections starting this November. And um, there's also been all sorts of other states and municipalities rolling out ranked choice voting um, in more limited ways. So, Anna, why might somebody be in favor of ranked choice voting in New Hampshire? Those in favor of ranked choice voting say it is more democratic than standard voting. Basically, you know, when you think about that one man, one vote, one, you know, in the ballot box, whoever gets the most wind, there's no reason why that has to be the only way we elect people, especially if we're ending up in this situation where 
the candidate that everybody really doesn't want sort of wins by default because the vote elsewhere is split up. So ranked choice voting lets people be very specific about their preferences in the ballot box. It makes sure that if you don't get your first choice, then at least your second choice vote gets in. And it can help prevent situations where an election winner doesn't represent the desire of the majority of voters, like we talked about. Maybe you get, there's three candidates and you technically get the most votes, but well, you're still maybe only representing a little more than a third of people who voted for you. Yeah, and it seems like the impact of a ranked choice voting system would be more evident in some elections than others. I went back and looked at some recent New Hampshire elections to just sort of speculate, you know, what this maybe could have looked like, what it could have changed. I'm sure that people are thinking about recent presidential elections when they felt like they had no good options. I think over any number of decades, I'm sure we've all been there at least once. But you actually can see it really clearly at the state level in New Hampshire when we're looking at party primaries in particular. So the 2018 primary in the first congressional district was a great example of this because there were so many candidates. On the Democratic side, Chris Pappas won with just 42% of the vote, followed by Mara Sullivan with 30%, Mindy Messner with 10%, and then there were eight other candidates. And then the same year, Eddie Edwards won the Republican side of the first district with just 48% of the vote, followed by five other candidates. And, and now, of course, we know Pappas went on to win the election. He's our congressperson now. You have to go back and look with so many candidates in that field. Neither Edwards nor Pappas won their primary with over 50%. So if there was ranked choice voting and people's second choices came into play, it's very possible we could have had a different nominee in either party, which could have led to a different congressperson. But of course, since we don't know voters' second choices from 2018, we'll never know if most voters were happy with those final nominees. Right. And that kind of explains why HB 1264 singles out state primary races in particular. So there have got to be cons to this idea, right? Of course. I mean, <laughs> We're always talking about the pros and cons <laughs> on here. But certainly people argue that voting in New Hampshire is among our longest held and most hallowed traditions, and we should be very cautious about changing it. And, you know, the recent elections have shown that traditional voting isn't perfect. Uh, it may be, yeah, maybe we have some situations where people are winning with less than 50% of the electorate. But 2020 also showed that if voters don't trust the election process, if they're confused by it, if it isn't transparent, they can lose faith in the results, which can lead to major dysfunction, even civil unrest and I mean, you can spin it out. People have to, wherever you live in the world for a democracy to work, you have to have faith that the election results are real and true to the will of the people. So ranked choice voting proponents would argue it's more true to the will of the people, but it is kind of hard to understand. It's like I said, you have to really think it through and, and depending on how you learn, maybe see it in practice or do it yourself or something like that. So if voters don't understand ranked choice voting, that they might end up mistrusting the process and not really believing that the people who win have that support. Right, yeah, and, and then making any kind of change to something we've done for so long would be expensive. You would have to, um, as you kind of touch on, there would have to be an educational campaign to help people understand like what any of this even means and what the change is and to 
trust it. Counting the ballots would also require a new computer system that was actually programmed to figure that out. And if there was a hand count, it would be very labor intensive, which always equates to more expense. Yes. And not that any decision about the best democratic process should be decided by money. Money is a factor. (laughs) And the Secretary of State estimates it would take a few million dollars to upgrade voting machines and then an unknown amount for training election officials to implement ranked choice voting. Right. Well, all right, folks, if you have an opinion on this issue, let your legislators hear from you. Remember, there are three unique bills on this subject. Consider contacting your elected officials to let them know where you stand, and you get started on that by finding out who represents you at citizenscount.org. All right, Anna, it's time for Only in New Hampshire. What Granite State trivia do you have for us today? All right, we're talking about voting. I brought up primaries. I mean, let's... Let's dive a little into New Hampshire's first in the nation primary vote, yes. right? I mean, it's a very obvious one. So obviously, especially with Secretary of State Bill Gardner retiring, people are wondering, are we going to hold on to the first in the nation status? And that's a question for the future. And we're looking back with only in New Hampshire. So I want to talk about where this tradition began. And there was an article from Bookings that I'm going to be partly quoting from here. So New Hampshire held the first in the nation primary since 1920. But it was only in the last decades of the 20th century that it took on so much importance. So here's the first fun fact about New Hampshire's first in the nation primary. In the beginning, it listed delegates and not actual candidates. So you were voting for someone who would in turn choose the president for you. So the first big change to that was in 1948. In 1948, Richard F. Upton, Speaker of the New Hampshire House of Representatives, decided to make the primary, quote unquote, more interesting and meaningful so there would be greater turnout at the polls. He did this by passing a law allowing citizens to vote directly for the presidential candidates. Any candidate could get on the ballot if he submitted 50 supporting petitions from each of the two congressional districts, and voter could choose delegates who were explicitly pledged to that particular candidate. And then it wasn't until 1972 that New Hampshire assumed the hallowed place in the American nomination system that has held to this day. As a result of the contentious 1968 Democratic Convention, the Democrats established a commission and passed a series of reform rules. Between 1968 and 1976, the number of primaries across the United States nearly doubled, as did their importance. And once primaries became so important, so did the sequence in which they occurred. In a sequential contest, the results of one primary affect the subsequent contests. And New Hampshire, of course, became the first in the nation where dreams are dashed and presidents were made. That, in particular, at the end was a quote from the article. Right. Yeah. And that's so interesting that we think about this change that we've been talking about, you know, switching to ranked choice voting as being a democratizing change when when really this has been sort of a process throughout the history of New Hampshire, uh, you know, and and the country is moving from this sort of opaque, smoky room, you know, decisions being made to a more democratic process. So Jimmy Carter was the first one to really benefit from winning the New Hampshire primary. And uh, Democrats kind of spent the next several decades uh, trying to decrease the importance of Iowa and New Hampshire on the nomination process. One uh, congressman who was beaten by 
Carter told the Democrats, in my judgment, the voters of New Hampshire, an unrepresentative state, were probably more important in 76 in both parties than all voters in California. Republicans also complained about the outsized influence of Iowa and New Hampshire. So, you know, it's not a new thing that this is uh, so contentious. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? right? And and like you pointed out, you know, ranked choice voting, it seems like such a radical change, but then you go back in history and it's like, oh my gosh, way back in history, we didn't even... We didn't even, we weren't even, people weren't even voting for the candidates in presidential primaries. That was just completely, basically up to parties at that point. Parties right. had complete control. And then, and then now later on starting, you know, that was just a quote from 1976 election, you know, and then it's the idea, well, the people across the United States don't have enough say. Now it's just the people in New Hampshire have so much say. It's, it's really tricky to find a way to give everyone that that equal voice in a fair way. I mean, democracy is not as simple as one person, one vote. It is, there are so many other pieces to it in terms of how it's set up, who can vote, when they can vote, who they're voting for, let alone the process and procedures in the legislature. But now I'm just geeking out about political science. <laughs> well, maybe that means it's a good time to wrap up our episode for today. You can uh, find more episodes and information at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. And lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people.